0: What a beautiful rose, declared the emperor.
1: The harder north wind blew. I've never been this close to a lion before.
2: It's time for the Apple Seed. all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers, an hour filled with stories for you and your family. Now, there exist the expressions, what goes around comes around, and you reap what you sow, and if we had to put it more succinctly, we might call it simply karma, this idea that one's actions, whether good or bad, influence what comes back to you from the universe. It's a pretty common theme in storytelling, and today's episode is full of stories that we know you will enjoy about people reaping and sowing and stuff going around and stuff coming around. You'll hear stories from Diane Ferlat, from Randall McGee, and from Pam Farrow. We'll also have a conversation with our producer, Jeff Simpson, as well as another entry in the Radio Family Journal. We're going to begin with The Lion and the Mouse. This is one of Aesop's fables, and it's performed here for you by Sheila Starks Phillips. Sheila's career has ranged from first grade teacher to zookeeper at the Houston Zoo, And since 1990, she's mesmerized audiences as a master storyteller. And this story contains a bit of wisdom, and it serves as a reminder that size doesn't always matter. From a collection of stories called Tater and His Musical Adventure and Other Fun Tales, here's Sheila Starks Phillips with the lion and the mouse on the apple seed.
1: Once upon a time, there was a big lion that lived deep within the jungle. Oh, he was a mean old lion. And all day long, all he did was roar at the top of his lungs. And when he roared, it sounded something like this. Oh, he roared and roared. That's pretty much all he did, all day long. And one day he had roared so loud for so long that by the end of the day his roar, well, it sounded more like a yawn. It sounded like oh, oh. And he went sound to sleep. Now in this very same jungle, but way over on the other side, way on the other side, there lived a little mouse, a little brown mouse, a little girl mouse. And one day she was out playing. It was the very same day that the lion had roared so long and so loud that he fell asleep. And the little brown girl mouse decided she would be very adventuresome. And she ran all the way over to the other side of the jungle where the lion lived. And she ran right up to that sleeping lion and she said, "Whoo! I've never been this close to a lion before. Goodness sakes, look how huge he is. He's got the biggest paws I've ever seen. why they are as big as a dinner plate and he's got those sharp claws coming out of his paws. Oh, look at that lion's tail. He's got that long tail that looks like it doesn't have any hair on it till you get to the end and then there's a big puff of hair. He's got that great yellow mane all around his head. Oh my goodness, what a huge lion and those round fuzzy ears. And that little girl mouse began to think, Wouldn't it be fun if I could climb up the lion's tail, I'd run down the lion's back, I'd jump up on the lion's shoulder, I'd slide all the way down the lion's arm and do a tumble saw right off the lion's paw and land oh so softly in the straw. And the more she thought about it, she thought she just simply had to do it. And so that little girl mouse went running up the lion's tail, she ran down the lion's back, she hopped right up on the lion's shoulder, she slid all the way down the lion's arm and did a tumble saw right off the lion's paw, and landed oh so softly in the straw. And then the lion woke up. What do you think you're doing, he said. I thought I felt you running down my back, did you? Did you jump up on my shoulder just now, just a minute ago, and did you slide all the way down my arm? And I thought I got a glimpse of you doing a tumble saw right off my paw. Well, I don't like that at all. And he grabbed the little mouse, and he caught her between his great giant paws, and she had to hang on to his claws like they were the bars of a jail. Oh, Mr. Lion, please don't hurt me. I didn't mean any harm, honest, I didn't. You know, I was just playing around. Oh, please don't hurt me. Why if you will let me go, I'll do you a big favor one day. And the lion said, "What? You would do me a favor? <laughs> what are you talking about? Look at you." You're just a little brown mouse and you're a girl besides. And look at me, I'm the king of the jungle. And he began to laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> oh ho ho! Well he laughed and 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 he laughed. He laughed and 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 he laughed. And And pretty soon that big yellow belly began to shake like jelly. And he had to let go of the little mouse so he could hold on to that big yellow belly because he thought he was going to fall apart. And when he did, that little mouse ran as fast as she could. all the way over to her side of the jungle and she went boy that was close that lion nearly ate me up well that night while the lion was out hunters came big game hunters hunting for big game like lion and they laid a snare that's a trap you know Right in the lion's lair. That's where he lived, you know. And when the lion came back, he did not know that terrible snare was in his lair. And he laid right down on top of it. And when he did, the weight of his body caused that snare to catch him up. It pulled him up in the air and he was caught. He was trapped. Oh, he fought his way. He tried to get loose, but he couldn't. What am I to do? He said, what will I do? And that lion began to cry because he knew he was trapped in that terrible snare. Oh, what'll I do? What'll I do? (laughs) Those hunters are going to come back. They're going to kill me or they'll take me off someplace dreadful. (laughs) What'll I do? What'll I do? What'll I do? Well, way over on the other side of the jungle where the little mouse lived. All of that crying that the lion was doing woke her up. She sat straight up in her little nest of straw. And she said, ooh, that sounds like that mean old lion. Well, I'm not going over there. I don't care what his trouble is because, well, he nearly ate me up. And she laid back down and tried to go to sleep, but she couldn't. She kept hearing that lion cry, and she remembered what she'd said. She had told the lion, why, if you'll let me go, I'll do you a favor one day. And he had let her go, and a promise is a promise. So that little girl mouse hopped out of her nest of straw and she brushed the last of the straw off her little brown body and she began to run and run as fast as she could. Right up to that lion who was so trapped and she drew herself up and said, Don't worry, Mr. Lion, I'm here. And the lion said... Oh, what can you do? Just look at me. I'm caught in this terrible snare. Those hunters are going to come back and they're going to kill me or they'll take me off someplace dreadful. There's nothing you can do. You're just a little mouse and, well, you're a girl besides. And that little brown girl mouse drew herself up to her full height. and she said, well... I may be little, and I may be a girl, but you know what? Girls are very, very smart, and girls are also very, very observant. And she looked up and down that rope snare, and she looked at it side to side, and she saw that it was held together by just one big knot, And so she scampered up that rope and she began to nibble and nibble and nibble. Well, she gnawed and gnawed and gnawed. She nibbled and nibbled and gnawed and gnawed and gnawed and gnawed and nibbled and nibbled and nibbled and nibbled and gnawed and gnawed and gnawed and gnawed and nibbled and nibbled until the rope snare was chewed through except for one little piece of rope. Oh her little jaws hurt. Her teeth were sore. But she took a deep breath. And she opened that tiny little mouth and she put it on that last little piece of rope and she nibbled and nibbled and gnawed and gnawed and nibbled and nibbled and gnawed and gnawed and nod and nibbled and nibbled and gnawed and nod and nod and nibbled and nibbled until the lion was free. And he fell to the ground and he turned to the little mouse and he said, oh, thank you very, very much. You are the best friend anyone ever had. I will always be indebted to you. You've got a friend in
2: me. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. A good reminder from the story, The Lion and the Mouse, told for you by Sheila Starks Phillips. Also a good reminder that helping others in need just may bring you some good karma. Our next storyteller is Diane Ferlat, and she's going to tell you a playful rendition of The Little Red Hen that you're going to love, full of music and sound effects and participation from some enthusiastic young listeners. Here's Diane Ferlat on The Appleseed.
3: One fine, fine morning, there was the little red hen going down the lane. When she finds a little grain of wheat on the ground. And she said, Ooh, who will help me plant the wheat? Who? Not I, said the dog. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the pig. pig. Well, 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 I'll, I'll do it myself. And she did. She took that little grain of wheat, scratched up some dirt, put it in the ground, and stomped it down. And with the sun shining and the rain falling, pretty soon a little leaf popped up. Beep. And that wheat began to grow taller and taller and taller, and taller, and taller. And the little red hen said, Who will help me cut the wheat? Huh! Not and I said the dog. dog. Not I, I said the cat. cat. Not I, I said the pig. pig. Well, well, well. I'll, I'll do it myself. myself. And she did. She did. She cut, and she cut, and she cut, cut, cut. She cut. cut. And she cut, and she, and she, she cut, 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 cut She cut, and she cut, and she cut, cut, cut Ooh. Then she said, who will help me stack the wheat? Huh? Not I said the dog, not I said the cat, not I said the pig Well, 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 I'll do it myself And she did, she began to stack that wheat and ten little piles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven eight, nine, ten. ten. Ten little piles all in a row. Then she said, Who will help me take it to the mill? Huh? None Not I said the dog. Not I said the cat. Not, oh, I, not I said the pig. Boy, boy. Well, 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 I'll, I'll do, do it myself. myself. And she did. She put that wheat on the back of her wagon and headed on down the lane to the mill by herself. When she got to the mill, they took that wheat and ground it into flour, put the flour in the sack, put the sack on the wagon, and she headed on home down the lane. When she got home, she said, who will help me make the bread? Huh? Not I, said the dog. Not I said the cat, not I said the pig. Well, 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 I'll
1: do it myself.
3: And she did. She took that flour and put it in a bowl and she made up some nice bread. And she began to squeeze the dough with her hands. And as she squeezed the dough, she said, This is the way we make the bread, make the bread, make the bread. This is the way we make the bread so early in the morning. This is the way we make the bread, make the bread, make the bread. This is the way we make the bread so early in the morning. She took that dough and flipped it over and began to squeeze again. Come on. This is the way we make the bread, make the bread, make the bread. This is the way we make the bread so early in the morning. She took that dough and put it in her pan, put that pan in the oven, and she went to do some housework. But pretty soon, that bread was smelling so good. That smell filled up the whole room. And that smell, it went out the window the way down to the dog's, dog's house. house, all the way down to the cat's house. cat's house, all the way down to the pig's house. Pig's house. And little red hen said, hmm, smell like my bread is done. She opened the oven, took the bread out, and then turned the oven off. And she said, my, 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 who will help me eat the bread? I will, said the dog. I will, said the cat. I will, said the pig. No, you you won't. won't. I'll eat eat it myself. myself. And she did. She ate every crumb. But the next time, the dog and the cat and the pig heard someone say, who will help me? you better believe they thought twice because it's twice as nice. So the next time you're at home or you're at school and you hear anyone say, who will help me? You better think twice. And remember, it's twice as nice. I will say the dog. I will say the cat. I will say the pig. Well, well, well. Did you hear that? That's the story of the little
2: red hen. Diane Ferlat with. The Little Red Hen, featuring her frequent collaborator Eric Pearson on the banjo. Little Red Hen is a story that's been passed from generation to generation to generation, first collected by Mary Mapes Dodge in the St. Nicholas Magazine way back in 1874. And like many of us, it's a fable Diane grew up listening to. She has said that as a storyteller one of my goals is to contribute in any way I can to the rejuvenation of storytelling and singing as a part of everyday life. Gonna take a quick break, but stick around Stories from Randall McGee and Pam Farrow and more. Coming up, I'm Sam Payne. You're listening
4: to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: Great to have you back with us on The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard Sheila Starks Phillips with one of Aesop's fables, The Lion and the Mouse. And you heard Diane Furlatt with a toe-tapping rendition of The Little Red Hen. Up next, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways through the books that we read, through the tales that we tell, telling to telling around kitchen tables or living rooms, through podcasts and radio, and of course uh, even through food and great songs and the things that we choose to see on screen. And talking about all of the ways in which great stories get into our hearts and minds is something that we love to do here on The Appleseed. I'm joined in the studio by Jeff Simpson. Jeff, it's great to have you with us. I am so excited to be here to talk to you about this film, Sam. Jeff, of course, is the producer of The Appleseed, and as a big film buff, we always love having him come by to talk about a movie that has affected him. And today, we're talking about a great one. Yeah. You know, there was a time
5: when uh, Pixar... Could do no wrong, right? <laughs> right? They just continue to crank out one great movie after another, and then they they kind of hit a couple of speed bumps. Ironically, once they hit some of those cars speed movies, bumps, right? Ha ha! I saw what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you know they started to get back into some of those really creative choices that, when they would would release the trailers for these movies, you started to feel like, all right, Pixar. I'm not exactly sure where you're going with this, but I'm going to trust you, right? And one of those films that I felt this way was Coco. Coco. I remember seeing the trailer for it with my wife, my wife saying... Well, that looks dumb. And <laughs> we went to see this film and were completely blown away by it, Sam. Yeah. Now, I should mention that this is a film that we took the entire family to. And, you know, this is a few years ago. So some of my kids were maybe a little too small to be in a movie theater and expected to behave well or to hold their bladders, right, oh, for the entirety of the away. movie. Right. And this is a the, film. A rite of passage, isn't it, yeah, for yeah. a kid to
2: start going to the theater?
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a film about remembering, right? Yeah. Remembering those who have passed on, and in a very real sense, in this film, if you don't remember those have pa- who have passed on, then they are completely forgotten, and in this land of the dead, they cease to exist, right? Yeah. So it's it it really drives that point home even further, and it's one of those movies that you scratch your heads at uh, at the end of the movie and you think wait a minute, Pixar just made a movie about family history. I didn't know you could do that, right? But there's a scene toward the end of the film where uh, the protagonist of this film, little Miguel, who ventures to the land of the dead and meets some of his ancestors, right? Yeah. And um, he is singing a song to his great-grandma Coco. And this is a song that throughout the film... The meaning of this song has changed, yeah. right? Yeah. At first, it's just a, a nice popular song by this famous artist. Then it becomes a song that is being sung to a daughter to remember me while I'm away on my travels, right? Yeah. And now it is being sung by a great-grandchild to his great-grandmother pleading with her to remember uh, an, another ancestor. Otherwise, he will cease to exist, right? Yeah. And she's senile. She's losing her memory. And, um, in fact, uh, I was fighting with one of my kids at this very emotional moment of the movie. They, they wanted to go to the bathroom, and I was like, be quiet, <laughs> as we're starting to hear so this music pop up on the screen.
6: Remember me Each time you hear a sad, sad guitar? guitar
1: Know that I'm with you, You're
5: Yeah. Imagine me struggling with my kid and them saying, I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm saying, be quiet. You're ruining the best part of the movie. Yeah. But I was just I was so surprised seeing this movie. And it was a great reminder to me that, you know. I need to share stories of those who've passed on and I need to learn about my ancestors because that's that's how they're going to live on.
2: Yeah. And what what a lovely you 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 make mention of that song, right? And what a lovely use of a of a song. What a wonderful use of a song that as you say means one thing at the beginning of the film and another thing in the middle of the film and and you and you're, you're and and another thing at the end of the film, right? And you're you're uh, sort of finding your way into the weight of these themes, right through hearing kind of the repetition of this song that, again, grows in depth and meaning every time you hear it. Yeah, it's really marvelous.
5: little little tidbit about uh, about this actor who plays Miguel. He was just kind of a fill-in voice actor. You know, they would have him, read lines with some of the other actors that were coming yeah. in to to do their parts. and But they hadn't really ever cast the part of Miguel. So at some point, they were so pleased with what he was doing and his singing and the emotion that he put into these lines that they just surprised him. I think they had this big
2: cake that said,
5: surprise, you're our Miguel. <laughs> and boy, did he do a terrific job in this movie. Boy,
2: no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah it's such a rich... Uh, I, that, that's the word that I use to describe this movie. It's just so rich, rich in this theme of family, and so such a rich visual experience. Kind of Pixar, kind of went gangbusters.
5: Yeah, this is, in my opinion, it's the last great Pixar movie that we've seen, and it's
2: certainly one of my favorites. Wow. Well. Coco, A great Pixar film, and it's great to have Jeff Simpson to discuss it with us. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us to talk a little bit about how that great story got into your heart and mind. Now don't you forget me, Sam. (laughs) Never, never. You will be with us even in the land of the dead, (laughs) Jeff. (laughs) Thank you. Stories come into our lives in so many ways. What a pleasure to chat for a minute with Jeff Simpson, the producer of The Appleseed, about... Coco. Now, up next, we've got a story from ventriloquist and storyteller Randall McGee. Now, often you can find Randall on stage entertaining family audiences with Grork the Dragon, but he also tells stories in character as Hans Christian Andersen. And that's what he's doing here in a version of the story The Swineherd, Randall McGee with that great old Hans Christian Andersen tale here on the Appleseed.
0: There was once a handsome, happy prince who was poor as princes go. He had a kingdom, and though it wasn't very big, it was beautiful. Now it was rather bold of him to ask the emperor's daughter to marry him, but he was a young man with spirit. And any one of a hundred princesses would have said,
6: Oh, yes, thank you very much.
0: But we shall see what the emperor's daughter did. On the grave of the prince's mother, there grew a magic rose bush. Every five years, it would grow one perfect rose. Anyone with a good soul would be filled with joy when they saw it. And when they smelled its perfume, they would forget all their sorrows. The prince also had an enchanted nightingale. A wonderful bird that had all the beautiful sounds of the world hidden in its tiny throat. Listening to it would remind one of the person they loved. These treasures he packed in silver boxes and sent by messenger to the emperor's daughter with his sweet offer of marriage. The messenger arrived at the palace of the emperor with his presents wrapped in silk bows. The princess and her ladies-in-waiting were playing at having a tea party. For that was all the princess knew how to play. The ladies-in-waiting are the ladies that wait on the princess. I do not know what they wait for. They just wait for something. When the princess saw the packages, she clapped her hands and said to her father and the ladies-in-waiting,
6: Oh, I hope it is jewelry. Or maybe a furry little kitten? Jewels or a furry little kitten,
0: agreed the ladies-in-waiting, for they said little on their own. My daughter, behold, what a beautiful rose, declared the emperor. And what a lovely smell. I feel so much happier.
6: It is nicely made, cooed the princess. Is it glass or silk?
0: It is not made, said His Majesty. It is real.
6: Oh, fiddle!
0: cried the princess.
6: Oh, fiddle!
0: echoed the ladies-in-waiting.
6: What do I care for an ordinary rose? Take it away,
0: the princess pouted. Take it away, said the ladies-in-waiting to the messenger. Now, dear, let us see what the other present is before we get so upset, admonished the Emperor. He opened the box. Immediately, the nightingale started to sing as if all the music in the world was bursting from its throat. (whistles) Only much prettier than that, of course. Ah, it is a nightingale. Its song reminds me of the singing of your dear departed mother. (laughs) The emperor started to cry.
6: What a wonderful music box,
0: exclaimed the princess.
6: Where do you wind it up?
0: It is a real bird, sobbed the emperor.
6: Oh, fiddle, the haughty princess cried. Oh, fiddle, echoed the ladies in waiting. Who wants a pet bird? You always have to feed it and clean up after it. Let it go and tell the prince who sent it. I never want to see him.
0: The prince was very disappointed when his messenger returned with the news from the palace. He wanted to see who this princess was who refused his treasures and proposal. However he could not just walk in and say, how do you do your spoiledness, oh no. So he took off his royal robes and put on ragged clothes. He dirtied his face and hands with brown and black shoe polish. He even put some shoe polish on his teeth. <sniffs> and it was as a dirty beggar that he walked right up to the palace door and knocked. Boom, boom, boom. The Emperor himself answered. You, what do you want? Asked the Emperor. If it please your highness I seek a job in the castle said the dirty beggar all duties are taken except perhaps for someone to tend the pigs may I be your swineherd then asked the beggar very well off with you now to the barn that night in the barn where he slept the swineherd made a wonderful pot with little bells
6: that played music as it boiled do 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 doo do doo, 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 doo. like that
0: it had a bit of magic in it also so that if you smelled the steam that came off of the pot you could tell what people were having for dinner in other houses now that is quite a trick eh <laughs> well the next day, the princess and her ladies in waiting heard the music as they walked nearby.
6: Do <laughs> do 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 do. I know that song,"
0: said the princess.
6: "I can play it on the piano with two fingers. That must be a cultured swineherd." cultured swineherd
0: echoed the ladies-in-waiting
6: ask him what he wants for the pot said the princess so one of the ladies-in-waiting walked over and asked oh swineherd what do you want for that pot the princess requests it hmm
0: well i want ten kisses from the princess said the swineherd <gasps> Are you mad? She ran back to the princess.
6: Well, what does he want? Oh, I cannot tell you. You must tell me. I am the princess.
0: So the lady in waiting whispered to the princess. Psh,
6: psh, psh, psh. <gasps> Is he mad? yelled the princess. And she stormed over to the swineherd. You are a very naughty swineherd. You may get a kiss from the lady in waiting. Ew I don't want to kiss him, wailed the lady in waiting. You will if I command it, declared the princess. No,
0: no, no, it's you or no one and I'll keep the silly pot, said the swineherd.
6: Oh, I do want that pot. Very well ladies in waiting stand around and spread out your dresses so that no one can see me kiss a dirty swineherd
0: so the ladies in waiting they gathered around in a circle and they spread wide their dresses so that no one could see and they started counting kisses
6: one two three
0: and so on. Thus, the swineherd got his kisses, and the princess got her pot. She and her ladies-in-waiting played with it for hours, listening to the music, and smelling what different families were having for dinner. However, while they played that night, the swineherd created a wondrous rattle, when you shook it, it would play lively Danish polkas and waltzes. Doo 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 The next day, the swineherd played the rattle as he watched his pigs. Doo 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 The princess heard the music as she and her ladies in waiting walked near by.
6: Ah! What lovely dance music,
0: cooed the princess.
6: Lovely dance music,
0: echoed the ladies-in-waiting.
6: Go ask the swineherd what he wants for the rattle, and he shall not get what he got yesterday.
0: The lady-in-waiting went up to the swineherd and asked,
6: What do you want for the rattle?
0: "Hm. I want One hundred kisses from the princess, he said.
6: Are you crazy? yelled the lady in waiting, and she ran back to the princess. Well, what does he want for the rattle? Oh, I cannot tell you, but you must tell me, so she whispered. Is he crazy? yelled the princess. You are a terrible swineherd. "'You may take your kisses from the ladies-in-waiting.' "'Oh, we don't want to kiss him,' they all cried. "'I am the emperor's daughter, and if I can kiss him,
0: then you can get it.' "'No, no, no, only kisses from the princess, "'or I keep the silly rattle,' declared the swineherd.
6: "'Well, father said we must support the arts,' said the princess.' Very well. Now, gather around us and spread out your dresses so that no one can see me kiss a dirty swineherd. And do keep count so that he gets no more than he asks.
0: So the ladies-in-waiting gathered around in a circle and they spread out their dresses and they started counting kisses.
6: One, two, three
0: and so on and so on the Emperor had just stepped out on his balcony to admire the morning hmm I wonder what is going on down there by the pigsty I think I shall go see what those curls are up to and off he went he snuck through the garden and tiptoed through the tulips until he was right behind them. The ladies in waiting were so busy counting kisses that they did not see the emperor approach.
6: Eighty four, eighty five, eighty. What is going on
0: here? bellowed the emperor. Eww. No daughter of mine would kiss a dirty swineherd. Out of my palace, both of you. He took off his slipper and swatted the ladies-in-waiting out of his way, and then he chased the princess and the swineherd off of his land. The princess and the swineherd walked down the road for a long time with the princess whining and sobbing. When it started to rain, she wailed,
6: Oh, poor me! I wish I had married that prince that sent me the rose and the bird. Then I wouldn't be stuck out here with a
0: dirty swineherd. Oh, I'm so unhappy. (laughs) The swineherd stepped behind a tree and removed his ragged clothes and put on his royal robes. He cleaned his face and hands and his teeth. He took off the tattered hat and replaced it with his crown. And so it was as the prince that he stood before her. I am the poor prince whose sweet proposal and dearest treasures you did not want. But you would kiss a dirty swineherd for a few silly toys. You get what you deserve. Farewell. The prince went into his castle and locked the door. He left the cold-hearted princess outside, crying in the rain. I know she is crying there still, for I went to visit the prince just last week, and she was outside the castle, crying and humming to herself. And if you don't believe me, you can go there yourself. Well. She got only what she deserved. She was born of royal parents, but she was not a true princess. I have met many royal and noble families, but it is not easy to find a true princess, and even harder to recognize one when you see her.
2: Randall McGee with an old Hans Christian Andersen tale, The Swine Herd. Pam Farrow coming up. Stick around. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
1: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a Hans Christian Andersen story told for you by Randall McGee, who tells stories in the character of Hans Christian Andersen on stage and even, like Hans Christian Andersen did, makes cut paper designs as he tells the story and then at the end of the story unfolds the cut paper design to reveal a picture of the story that he's just told. Up next, we've got a story from Colorado storyteller Pam Farrow. It's from a collection called Why didn't I think of that? Seeking solutions, some sassy, some silly, some smart. It's Pam Farrow with The North Wind and the Sun here on the Appleseed.
4: North Wind did not like sun at all. In fact, Northwind loved the coming of winter because as winter approached, sun, that old spoil sport, would be showing his yellow face in Northwind's neighborhood for shorter and shorter amounts of time. And he'd be traveling further and further off to the south. And this would leave North Wind with many hours of darkness to do whatever he pleased. He would sweep and blow across the open plains. He would sweep through the pine branches and over the mountain pants and whip and roar through towns and villages. He would bluster and bustle from the widest of plazas to the narrowest of alleys. <laughs> Any loose roof tiles or cobblestones were toys for North Wind. If anyone had left laundry hanging out to dry on the line, well, it was a plaything for Northwind to do with as he pleased. He almost welcomed Sun's brief appearances each day because then everyone could see by Sun's clear light just what Northwind had wrought during the night. One day, North Wind was feeling particularly smug. <laughs> yeah, real full of himself, because that day, well, Sun had barely shown up at all, and when he had, well, he, he was further off to the south than North Wind could remember having seen him for a long time. So, North Wind called out to Sun, like this. Hey! What's the matter with you? How come you don't stick around here in the North anymore, huh? Scared I'll blow you out of the sky? (laughs) Well, you're just yella. (laughs) You coward. You milksop. You poltroon. You think you're so great just galloping across the sky. You think you're such hot stuff. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you say we have ourselves a contest, huh? (laughs) See which one of us has the most power anyway. Well, now, if North Wind had been looking at Sun just then, instead of looking down on Earth for his next conquest, well, he might have seen Sun flare just a bit more brightly for a moment. But... North Wind only heard Sun's answer, which was, "'And what have you in mind for such a contest, brother?' "'Hmm. Ah, you see? "'You see down there on that road "'that horseman riding down that long road. "'You see him? Oh, oh, maybe you can't see him "'cause you're too far to the south, brother.' "'But Sun answered,' Do you mean the one with the long red cloak on his shoulders? Uh, yeah, that's the one. Well, um, he, um, he, he looks too pleased with that cloak to suit me. Let's see which one of us can make that cloak come off of his shoulders in the shortest amount of time, shall we? Let that be our test of power. And son said, agreed, you may take the first turn, brother, while I tarry here in the south a while longer. And so, north wind began to move. And a blow stronger and stronger and soon people were were chasing their hats down the street in the wind and and were holding very tightly under the hands of small children so they wouldn't be blown down the street in the wind Uh, any leaves that were still left on the trees were soon swirling through the air in fantastic designs all of the animals began looking for shelter from the growing wind the dogs crawled under porches and went behind barn walls all of the cows began to moo and to bump nervously against each other all of the people went into their homes and they shut their doors and windows tightly against the growing force of the wind. Why, even out in the harbor where all the ships were anchored, the waves were whipped to such a height that many of those ships were overturned and sank. But the harder north wind blew, the more tightly that horseman held his red cloak onto his shoulders. After a time, North Wind was spent, and it was Sun's turn, and Sun began to move. And as Sun moved, he drew closer, and closer to North Wind's neighborhood. And he sent his warm and gentle rays down to the earth below. And as they touched, wonderful things began to happen. Small green plants began pushing themselves up out of the dark brown earth. Flowers of every color and description appeared everywhere. Insects came out and hummed and buzzed and moved all about. And all those animals, well, (laughs) they all came out of their hiding places and either played or took a nap in the sun, whichever they wanted. The people threw open their doors and windows and they stepped outside in the sunshine and they laughed and talked and worked and played. (laughs) And the horsemen, well, That horseman, and all of that warm sunshine, he grew hot. And he stopped his horse by a riverbank. He got down off of his horse. He reached up with one hand, and he removed that red cloak from his shoulders then he took off the rest of his clothes and dove in for a swim (laughs) so you see my friends what north wind with all of his power and strength could not accomplish sun achieved with gentleness and warmth Mm -hmm.
2: pharaoh with the north wind and the sun here on the Appleseed. it's been an hour of all kinds of fantastical tales let's bring it back down to a tale from life experience my life experience in fact in an entry from the radio family journal we'll wrap up with this
1: the radio family journal with sam payne a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the Appleseed.
2: Looking back on it, maybe it was a tricky decision for my buddy Rocco. He and I, both in high school, had been hanging out all afternoon watching movies on VHS. And suddenly there were his folks calling upstairs for him to come immediately to join them at some family activity. I don't even remember what the activity was. They may have been heading to a ball game or a school thing for one of Rocco's siblings. That part of the story hasn't stuck with me. The problem was I didn't have a car or even a driver's license. And the plan had been for Rocco, who had both, to run me home after hanging out at his house. I lived about five miles away. Rocco's parents calling for him were getting more and more insistent. And like I said, maybe Rocco weighed the risk of his next move carefully before he spoke. Maybe he measured out the pros and cons. Maybe at the front of his mind were the potential consequences to him if he didn't respond to his folks immediately and cheerfully. In any case, after whatever weighing of the risks he might have done, he tossed the keys to his car across the room to me and said, ''I gotta go.'' I know I was going to give you a ride home, but it doesn't look like I have time. Drive yourself. You can take my car." Well, I'm 100% sure Rocco knew I didn't have my driver's license. That's all I know for sure. But among guys without their driver's licenses, there are many types. There's the type of guy that doesn't have a driver's license, but drives around on the sly anyway. There's the type of guy that doesn't have a driver's license, but drives sometimes around the empty church parking lot for practice with his folks. And, of course, as unlikely as it seems, there's the guy who doesn't have a driver's license and has simply never driven a car, never, ever been behind the wheel. I know that last type of guy exists because I was that type of guy. I guess I don't know what type of guy Rocco was, but if he had known what type of guy I was, how might that have played into his risk assessment when he was contemplating the lending of his car to me? I don't know. I'll never know. But there I was. Rocco's family had taken off, and I was standing alone in the driveway with Rocco's 1985 Dodge Colt. And now it was time for my own risk assessment process— I waited around for another couple of hours until I knew my folks would be in front of a phone that I could call and I could ask them to come get me. Low risk. High boredom quotient. And besides, I was terribly curious about driving that car. High risk. Big challenge. Possible exhilaration. I won't tell you more about that risk assessment process except to say that at the end of it all, I climbed into Rocco's car. And my first question was about the pedal to the left of the brake pedal. I had no idea what that pedal was. I was, and I can't believe I'm admitting this out loud, completely in the dark as to the difference between a stick shift and an automatic transmission. But well, I had to get home. And so to set about the experiment. By the time 15 minutes had gone by, I had figured out that if you hold that left-hand pedal down, you could turn the key and make the engine run. Of course, if I let the left-hand pedal go after that, the engine would clunk to a stop. Another 15 minutes and I had sussed out that if I kept the gas pedal pressed down and let the left-hand pedal out, I could make the car lurch forward. I still had no idea how all this related to the stick between the seats. Well, I'll spare you the details, but sometime, after dark, I had whined and stripped and ground and lurched my way the whole five miles home. My first experience with a stick shift. Heck, my first experience behind the wheel of a car at all. If my parents thought it strange that there was an unusual car in the driver when they got home, they didn't say anything. They found me on the living room sofa, reading a book. Rocco himself rode the school bus home with me the next day and fetched his car. If I did irreparable damage to it, he never said anything. I look back on that evening now and I shake my head. What a couple of idiots. Rocco for thinking it was a good idea for him to lend his car to me. And me for thinking, well, what could go wrong? Saved we were, as we so often are by sheer blindness to the idiotic odds we face when we choose to do just about anything. Just about anything at all.
1: The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed.
2: Thanks for joining me for an entry in the Radio Family Journal and for an hour's worth of stories, including The North Wind and the Sun from Pam Farrow, The Swine Herd, the Hans Christian Andersen story from Randall McGee, something from Diane fralat a terrific rendition of The Little Red Hen, and even at the top of the hour, uh, The Lion and the Mouse, the Aesop's Fable from Sheila Starks Phillips. Today's hour was written and produced by Jeff Simpson. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison. Find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. Can't wait to be with you again.
3: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed.
5: The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.